scribes and scribblers and welcome to the Nib section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. No panel this week. Instead, we have a special treat for you, an interview with the creator of the prolific YouTube channel Fig Brood on Pens, David Parker. Last Sunday, I spoke one-on-one with David. He shared tons of insight into his process and the behind-the-scenes work that goes into his video pen reviews and maintaining a successful YouTube channel. So here's my interview with David Parker. Hi listeners, I'm on the line right now with David Parker. You may know him better as Figboot on the YouTube channel Figboot on Pens, where he reviews fountain pens, inks, and all things stationery related. He joins me long distance from North Carolina, which David informs me for the benefit of us Antipodeans, is on the east coast of the United States. How are you, David? Fine, thank you, Diana. It's very nice speaking with you. I don't know if you listened to the podcast. Yeah, I listened to the last one where you guys were discussing uh, discussing kind of reviews from the consumer side. Yes. What I really found interesting listening to Chuck and Sharon talk two weeks ago was a lot of things that they considered to be reviews. I'd personally never put in the category of being reviews. Or you could just be a, a post on a, on a blog or a message board or something like that. There's lots of people that... Uh, the the quote unquote will say review pens and up on the fountain pen network or other uh, message boards you know post extensive uh, information and uh, sometimes while that's kind of that might be a very personal take uh, but sometimes that information is valuable as well there's lots of different ways that people can get their information do you think there's anything substantive that a review needs to have beyond I like or I don't like this pen in order to be considered a review I mean do you think there is something that is really necessary necessary to, to be the court to be considered as a review. You know, it takes a while to find your voice. Mm-hmm. That's like one thing that I, I, I struggled with at first when I was even debating whether or not to create video reviews. It was really kind of an extension of my hobby. When I would get a new pen, I would write in a little journal I had and kind of write my thoughts on that specific pen. And it was an excuse to use that pen while I was writing just my own little kind of, well, just, it was basically almost like a journal, but just talking about each pen that I would purchase. Uh, and then I was thinking just about a creative outlet. Um, I was thinking about things like, um, uh, you know, like doing a podcast or maybe doing a blog or, or I was kind of looking at different things, um, mainly for a creative outlet. Uh, and then I, I decided on doing the, the video reviews because it kind of played a lot into my strengths. I, you know, I have a, I enjoy the production process. Um, I have a bit of background in video production and writing and using fountain pens. And it kind of, that was kind of the confluence of, of everything. You know, I find the actual production of shooting a video to be fun. I mean, it's work, but it's still fun. Yeah. And I even enjoy the editing and the post-production process as well. Though I will say after a while, I do get sick of looking at my own face and hearing my own voice. Are you just a one-man production? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everything that you see on my channel is 100% me. I will do interviews on occasion, uh, whether it's with someone in the pen community or outside the pen community. And uh, inevitably, it is I'm setting up a camera and pushing, uh, you know, pushing record and then sitting down with that person. So it is it's a one man shop. And in a way, I kind of like that. No, I I saw your um, your interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson um, after I listened to your episode with the BYOB crew. Yes. It's very impressive. I'm so jealous that you got to meet him. Is he someone that is uh, fairly well known in Australia? Very well known because he's toured internationally. I know a few people who've seen him speak in person. He's a very popular science communicator. Yeah, he's very communicative and and, and, uh, he's kind of a larger than life personality. 
it, it was fun to be able to sit down with him. It was a lot of work. It took a lot of work to coordinate that. Um, it took several months of me, you know, reaching out to the right people and uh, and basically getting on his calendar and figuring out a time and a place to do this. And uh, we actually did it in his office in in New York. So I flew up to New York basically for the sole purpose of uh, of doing that interview. The whole time I was very nervous as far as uh, making sure that I didn't screw it up, you know, making sure the mic is on, making sure the camera is on, things like that. Again, there's a couple of times when you can see me like looking at the camera. And mm -hmm. if you could read my mind, my mind is saying, is that red light on? Is that little red light on? Because I didn't want to spend all of this time and then uh, uh, walk away and and then uh, all of a sudden have uh, have there be nothing on the tape. Uh, it, it was actually interesting because at near the end of the interview, I was trying to respect his time just because we were going rather long. And I think it was fun for him because he got the opportunity to talk about a hobby as opposed to talking about his work and things that he normally talks about. It was like no one had ever asked him about pens. That was kind of what it uh, what it felt like. At, at one point, I, I knew we were kind of needing to wrap up. Uh, we had, I take a lot of take the, took a lot of his time, and I was trying to be respectful of that. Uh, his one of his assistants or his assistant came over to the window, and uh, he couldn't see it, but she just kind of had that look like he needs to be someplace. Uh, I, I, on her face. And so what I ended up doing was I kind of ended up saying, uh, you know what, hey, why don't you just show me one more pen or just, yeah. you know, how about Wrap one it more? Up. <laughs> yeah. And I was trying to at least lead him there. And that then he uh, uh, ended up saying, okay, here's one more. Oh, okay. Here's one more. Oh, okay. Here's one. And so I, in my mind, I'm kind of like, okay, I did my part. If your assistant's mad at you, then, you know, it's not my fault. Um, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was fun to do the research for that because, you know, I'm not a professional interviewer, but I wanted to come out across as professional as I could be. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I had to do a lot of research into his pens. I knew a list of about a dozen of his favorite pens. Uh, and so I had a strong suspicion that those would be some of the pens he brought with him. Remind me of, um, and our listeners, what kind of pens he had. Boy, uh, there was... Um, I know there was a Mont Blanc. There was uh, he had some a lot of he brought a lot of space themed pens. Uh, there was there was a Crone uh, a Crone pen that actually has a piece of Apollo Eleven in it. He had a number of Pelicans uh, that were special editions. I was kind of really happy with the research I was able to do because like I knew that there was this pelican and on the side of the pelican, it listed out all of the planets and that he's somewhat weather well known as being one of the people that was kind of behind Pluto getting kicked out as a planet. He was on the committee. It's not him, his doing in total, but he was part of the group that made the decision. And, uh, and so I knew that this pen at the very end had Pluto at the very end, kind of on the uh, piston knob. And so when he pulled that out, I was able to say something like, hey, that pen has an error on it. You know, you might as well just throw that pen away or something like that. And he got a big kick out of it. That was basically all of the research that I did into it that it made me, I basically came up with like one sentence that I could say about every single one of his pens. Like he had a pen that was a Copernicus pen. You know, there was one after Galileo. And so I researched it and I'm like, okay, well, first of all, what did Galileo do? Remind me. So I didn't sound like a dummy in front of the, someone who really knows his stuff. And so I was able to say like, Hey, you know, this pen came out in the early 1990s, right about the time that Galileo was uh, being acquitted of heresy. Right. 
you know, and then it fed into his knowledge and he was able to be able to talk about that. Or he had a, uh, the Visconti that was the Knights Templar. And uh, I did research and the Knights Templar is in essence like the Pope's army. That was kind of what it was. And so I was able to like inject things like that so that I, in essence, try to make me sound smarter, if that makes sense. But also the more prepared you are, um, you're already having to divert attention between actually speaking and looking, making sure that the video was being turned on, the sound was okay. So I think being prepared makes you less stressed getting towards the actual recording. And, And I know, okay, he's a professional speaker. And so if anyone was going to mess up this interview, it was me, not him. And in essence, it was just my parts make sure I don't make a fool of myself and he's going to hold his own and he's not going to mess up the interview. That's kind of, you know, my own, the way my own thinking was, is uh, just don't mess it up. He's going to carry you all the way there. And I thought that actually I've listened back to it a few times and I I thought we had a good banter back and forth and, uh, and it made, hopefully it made for some interesting video, but it was kind of a fun adventure for me just because. Because I, you know, thought it would be fun to sit down with someone famous and and have them talk about pen. I think you did a great job with that interview. I'll link that in the show notes. He's one of those people who are celebrity fountain pen users. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Neil Gaiman is definitely a celebrity pen user. Um, there aren't that many others who we know are very, very fond of their fountain pens. I'm glad that someone got to interview them and I'm glad it was you. Now you just have to try and get on Neil Gaiman's roster. All all I will say is I don't want to jinx anything, but I have been working on another interview for close to a year and a half, um, just through various scheduling challenges and uh, and things like that. And um, there's been several times when I, I thought I was like a day away from receiving the we're doing it this day type of email. Um, and things have been kind of pushed off, at least right now, to the beginning of 2019. So all I'm going to say is that there potentially at the beginning of next year will be an interview with someone uh, who we'll just say is very prominent uh, celebrity pen user. And I, like I said, I don't want to jinx it, but there potentially is someone else, someone else coming down the line. Okay, um, I look forward to that with great interest. But let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all the hosts and guests that we have on. What are you currently writing with? What I am currently writing with, the pen that I I, I purchased in D.C. and I have it on my desk and I, I keep reaching for it is a pen 18111 that uh, I'll show it up here on the video just so you could see it. This is uh, a gentleman by the name of Yoshi who's out of Brooklyn, New York, creates these pens. I'm sure you could put a link to his site on the notes and that he creates the most amazing, vibrant pens. There's kind of two distinguishing features about them. One is a lot of his pens have kind of likened the looks of a cherry blossom tree. Uh, And so there's all of this paintwork that is on the pen and all these flowers. But what happens is he actually laser engraves every single flower on here and then fills it with paint. So the paint isn't just sitting on top of the acrylic. It's kind of in the acrylic. And then um, the most distinguishing feature is uh, there is a roll stop that is likened to the branches of a tree which wraps around the pen. And it's just incredibly stunning. This one here is called the Night Sky Sakura. This one had a moon and other ones didn't have a moon. Uh, What he does is he actually 3D prints these clips or these roll stops and then casts them in metal himself uh, and then wraps them around. And so it's just some incredible work. I mean, I almost picked up the all pink one. I mean, that's not the most manly uh, looking pen, 
Uh, it was so beautiful and so stunning that, yeah, I almost got the all pink pen and I would have loved my all pink pen, uh, because it's so beautiful, but I got this one, uh, that I have here is, uh, a darker blue. And I actually have this filled with, um, Robert Oster, uh, Bondi blue. So I thought that it fits that pen. Well, that's kind of the pen that I've been using lately. I can't seem to quite put it down. I, I, I have a couple of Dudek cubes on my desk and it goes in there and, you know, a lot of other pens kind of get put away, but this one has been sitting out and uh, I, I'm thoroughly infatuated with this pen right now. What are you writing with? It's nothing like as spectacular as yours. Because I'm writing during the interview, um, I just have my trusty vanishing point. It's a limited edition, I think from 2016 or 2017. It's called the Sunset Blue. It comes in a, a series of limited edition vanishing points, which include the Moonlight, which is um, a silver marble, the Twilight, which I think was pink and purple, like an ombre pink and purple going up the barrel. There was um, a pink version, which came out last year, um, which was pink and orange. The Sunset Blue is this very vibrant, um, I would say like a cobalt color, with marbling through it in a lighter sort of blue. It's it's very shiny. Now, was that one that was widely available or was it only available in Japan through certain retailers or department stores or something like that? My belief is that it was only available in Japan. I picked this up in Tokyo when I visited there in early 2017. So I've never seen this outside of the country, but it's possible, I think, that small distributors would have had it in the U.S. or in... I have a, a friend by the name of David. Uh, we have a very vibrant pen community here in the, the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, and uh, he has honestly one of the most extensive Vanishing Point collections in the world. I, I'd honestly say probably top two or three. Yeah, he has a a, long, a laundry list of contacts in Japan who will then acquire, uh, you know, when... Some limited edition only is on sale at this department store at this day that, uh, you know, he has his cronies go out and pick up these pens for him and bring them back to the, you know, and send them to the U.S. for him. So he, uh, all, all of those limited editions he he strives for and uh, he has an, an amazing Vanishing Point collection. It, it's, it's really, really cool. There's a lot of very small numbered lines of Vanishing Points, I think, made for stationary stores, but they don't tend to come in this large size. They tend to be more of the decimo size, the, the slimmer, lighter versions. I know Bumbox has multiple Bumbox-only decimos. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, he's shown me a few of the, uh, the bung box ones. And, and yes, I've been envious of some of those. Some of the colors are just amazing. Can I ask, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been reviewing pens on YouTube? Well, I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary in October. And I am closing in. I'm just a few videos away from my 200th video. That's more than one video a week. Is that the schedule you give yourself? Yeah. And I think that that's important when you're first starting off is to... I kind of have a few things that I, I, I give suggestions to people because one thing, when I first started off, uh, all of the other reviewers that I reached out to for various reasons, everyone was very supportive of me. And so I try to be supportive of other people getting their start as well or starting off on this. And I've had contacted by several people. And I, I even kind of put out a video talking about, um, okay, you've decided to do videos or you decided to create content. Now what? And kind of how you get started and, and kind of what you need to do to get off to the right foot, how you should really start and kind of work with what 
what you have. You know, you don't need to go out and buy hundreds or thousands of dollars equipment right away. You know, your cell phone camera is good enough. You know, uh, if you could find a nice window with good light, that's good enough, you know, type of thing. And, and understand that when you first start off, no one is going to be watching you. No one is going to be listening. No one's going to be watching. No one's going to care. And don't get discouraged by that. Because, uh, I mean, like when I first started, uh, I went back and looked this up a couple of weeks ago because someone asked me. But over the first two months of posting a video of week, I was so I was like eight videos in. I had like I had a total of 23 views and one subscriber. And that's okay. Yeah. And I can understand how some people get frustrated because sometimes you go to someone's channel and you'll see like three videos. You can tell that they shot all three the same day because they're wearing the same clothes. Then they hardly have any views and then that's like that's it. And they, and they gave up and probably gave up because they said, well, no one's watching. And so I'm, you know, I'm getting frustrated. And what you have to do is you have to understand that when you first start off, you are going to stink. Your videos are going to be terrible. You're going to look back at those and be embarrassed about the quality that you shot and you're mumbling and bumbling and you're not going to think it's good. And what you should do is really use that time when no one is watching to kind of perfect your craft and find your voice. I've always been a big proponent of not necessarily promoting yourself too much because I felt that if you just focus on providing good content and you create a good piece of content, then people are going to find you and people seek that out. If you create good content, then you're going to have good word of mouth and people are going to watch that and people are going to say, you know, hey, go check this out. It's really good stuff. People seek out good stuff and share it with others all the time. And so when I first started doing videos, I kind of wanted to come up with a schedule as well to kind of get back to the question. And my mainly I said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to commit to myself to do a video a week because you don't want to get too burnt out. And it does take, you know, depending on the review, it could take four to five hours in total time to create it between writing and actually creating the review to recording it and post-production. And, uh, you know, it could take a while to do. Mm-hmm. I, I have a tendency to do a lot more research. I, I have some friends that do reviews that are very good at just turning on the video camera and uh, basically making something up on the spot and having an off-the-cuff review. And that's just not me. I, I need to prepare more so that I make sure that I hit 100% of my points and 100% of what I want to say when I want to say it and kind of nail that down. And so I kind of say, okay, I'll do one review a week. And that way I don't get burnt out uh, because I kind of have my schedule. There was someone who started around the same time I did who has like close to 500 videos. And I'm like, I could never, I, I couldn't do that just because I would get, I, I would get burnt out if I put a video out every three days or four days. Ever since the the DC Pen Show, I've been backed up as far as reviews that I kind of quote unquote need to get to. And so I've been putting, uh, I've been putting two videos out a week for the last couple of weeks. And maybe for the next couple of weeks, I'll be putting two out a week just to catch up. But for the most part, I typically review have one a week that comes out on Saturday or Sunday. I think once a week is a good rhythm. You leave people a little bit more hungry for what you're coming up with next. And um, once you have a regular calendar, then you also have anticipation building for it, right? Your subscribers, they know to watch for your new video. Yeah. Like I have 
YouTube channels that I subscribe to that aren't fountain pen related. And the ones that are kind of on a regular schedule, I, I appreciate because it's like, okay, I know it's Friday, you know, okay, this is going to pop up my feed sometime soon, um, as opposed to a surprise, because you have other channels that you enjoy that is kind of, there is no schedule. And those are kind of surprises. But um, I, I kind of like to at least have, have somewhat of a schedule. And if anything, it's for me as well, just so that I'm committing to something to get it out and you know, no one's forcing me to put out a video a week. It's just because I, I want to continue doing it and I enjoy doing it. You know, I kind of want to keep in that groove uh, of keeping producing things. It's fun to consume. Yes. But I've also found that it's really fun to create uh, and to kind of be a creator as well as consuming. And so I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it as well to to kind of, in a way, create something with my own two hands. And like I mentioned before, it's 100% me, flaws and all. I know there's certain areas I could get better at, but yeah, it's all me and I'm enjoying it. But when you get better, you know it's you as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As long as you set a target and then you stick to it, the consistency is the key and not necessarily how often, whether it's five days, every five days, every week, every month or so on. You just have to be consistent. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really important. It's being professional. It's being consistent. And the more that you're going to come across like having your act together, uh, then the more, you know, those are the type of the channels that I want to watch a little bit more as opposed to someone who's just throwing something together and doing it whenever. And if they don't seem committed, then in essence, why as a viewer should I be committed? I agree. You mentioned at the very beginning, now you rewatch your very first videos, um, you've noticed a great improvement over your, whether it's your technique or the equipment that you use, what would you say has been the main change to your production process over the years? I think I've really uh, improved the looks and feel of the videos that I, I've created. You know, I think it's important to at least look nice. You know, someone's staring at you for 10 to 15 minutes. You want to at least make it look somewhat visually interesting. And so even something like, like my first few videos were all natural light just because I didn't even own any lights. Uh, and so I was at the whim of mother nature, you know, it would be a cloudy day and it would look cloudier and I couldn't record at night at all because I'm using natural lights. You can't just use, you know, like fluorescent light or incandescent light because that's going to look weird on the camera. Uh, and so I, I went out and got a, a couple of cheap and you can get some good lights for like under $50 US. So it's not an expensive investment. And all of a sudden your production value goes through the roof because it looks that much more professional just by having a couple of really inexpensive lights. You know, my, my video camera isn't the greatest. It's ancient. It's, you know, barely HD. I mean, it's, you know, I could probably use improving, but it's good enough. And I think that I've become more confident you know, you're not necessarily as concerned like you are at the beginning of, okay, how people are going to view this, how, how am I looking? And you're a little more self-conscious about putting everything together. But now I just know that, okay, if I've written a good review, if I'm confident about what I'm going to say, I know how I'm going to come across and it becomes much more uh, easier to put things together and, uh, and sound coherent. That's one of the things I try to focus on is making the review make sense as far as cohesive. I kind of have all of my it's not like a formula, but I kind of have the main points that I want to hit because often when you listen to a review, it kind of meanders all over the place. You want to kind of make sure that it has a flow and that you hit all of the important points in a progressive order that makes sense as opposed to kind of shotgunning uh, an approach. And so I've gotten better at, at writing a review, I feel, just out of sheer practice. After doing close to 200 of them, you get at least you would think that you get a little bit better at it. I, I think that I've improved 
improve the way that I present myself on camera? And, you know, am I, are you a, someone that is somewhat pleasant to listen to for 10 or 15 minutes? Or are you going to be annoying? Uh, or if someone, you know, hates your voice or hate whatever that, you know, you, you don't want to give people an excuse not to watch. I, I think for the most part, I, I come across as pleasant and that I'm easy enough to listen to so that it makes people at least uh, a, a little bit easier to get the information they're looking for. Because in the end, they're wanting the information. They're, they're not wanting to watch me or or see me. It's more I'm wanting information about this specific pen um, more than I want to hear what David has to say about this pen. And so that's something I'm very familiar with is, in essence, it's a marketing piece for that pen and uh, presenting it in whatever light I feel it needs to be shown in. It's interesting you said that you don't have necessarily the best camera. I've found listening to other people's podcasts and watching their videos, there's always like a minimal barrier that you really have to get past so that your technical, what you're using to create your content is not distracting, uh, taking away from your review. Because if your sound is distractingly bad, then no matter how good your actual content is, people will be turned off by that. And your video just has to be good enough that the video content is not distracting you from the actual voice and what you're saying. That makes sense. I'm I'm like I'm very conscious about I, I okay, I'm trying to get my audio better because I know that I'm in an office that can be a little echoey at times, but you know, I, I'm in a house. This is my office. And so it has hardwood floors, it doesn't have carpet, you know, things like that. And so you try to deal with that and how do you make it sound better? There are times when I have an annoying hum in my video, and for the longest time I couldn't figure out what that hum was. It wasn't the microphone, it wasn't the camera, and, and then not that long ago. I figured out it's the air conditioner because it keeps turning on and off. And so now whenever I uh, do a video, I have to go turn the air conditioner off in the house so that the air conditioner doesn't kick on and just have a little hum in the background that, you know what, it may or may not be annoying for people. I don't even know if anyone else pays attention to it. Every once in a while, I'll hear someone comment on it. It's more for me of, okay, how can I make a better product? How can I improve this so that it's as good of a product as possible? I want to be proud of it. Like you said, you need to make those minimum requirements. Is it good enough? You know, there's been a couple of reviews that I've I've done that will not see the light of day because I don't think they were good enough for various reasons. Yeah, you you do kind of need to meet those meet those minimum standards. Like I am very conscious about everything going on in the background of my videos. Like if I'm watching someone's video, what am I doing? I'm looking in the background to see what's going on. And I've seen many videos where someone's like in their bedroom and you could see the bathroom in the back that's open and the laundry that's on the bed and they're talking about pens or something. And I'm like, okay, well you couldn't just like clean the the dirty laundry something like i don't need to see the toilet in the background when you're you're talking about this i've even done uh, a lot of kind of puzzles and contests in my videos where i've hidden things in in the background over you know 10 or 15 videos uh and then you know kind of hiding things in plain sight and then after a while, tell people, oh, you know what? Okay, I've been running a contest over the last three months or two months. Okay, now go find the clues and put it all together. And now we'll have a little puzzle contest. So I've, I've done things like that as well. And for eagle-eyed viewers, I, I actually might be in the middle of doing something like that uh, right now. So in, in the next few weeks, I might be uh, uh, having a contest that has something to do with something uh, going on in the background of, of videos that uh, so if people wanted to get a head start on that they could but i will say that each of my kind of 
puzzle challenges I've done, I've had to make progressively harder. I wanted it to make people feel like it was an accomplishment for them to solve this puzzle. And the last couple of ones I've done, I've had uh, uh, more people solve it than I thought that uh, were going to solve it. So this time I was like, okay, now I'm going to make this really hard and we'll see how many people can really solve this. Because the, it, I wanted these puzzles because I wanted to like reward the people that actually put the effort to do a puzzle uh, because then they would maybe have a better chance at winning whatever prize I was giving away than like a normal drawing where I just say, Hey, leave a comment. And then you could just enter. And like the last one, there was like close to 400 people that got it right. Oh and I'm goodness. like, okay, yeah, I'm like, okay, I got to really step up the, uh, the, the difficulty here to, to, to really reward the people that put in the effort. So this one's going to be tough and I can imagine I'm going to have a, a, a number of people complaining about it just because they, they can't figure it out, but I'm not going to give any hints. No, you know, Oh, you're, you're almost there. Try again. Uh, no, it is, you either get it or you don't. And, uh, and you're on your own. You have some background in videography and, um, creating that sort of content, but what do you think are the main advantages of reviewing fountain pens or inks or notebooks, um, that sort of material through that medium? A lot of it is sometimes so that I can make sure that I get my message across in the way I want it to come across. Uh, sometimes when you're reading something, tone is can be difficult to determine. You know, there's times I can be rather sarcastic and sarcasm usually doesn't come across that well on a written page uh, and might come across differently. Uh, or some of my dry humor I have at times, some of that might not translate as well. And so I, I felt it was kind of the, the, the thing that would fit my personality best and the message that I was trying to convey and that I could also incorporate making sure that I had plenty of pictures and plenty of video uh, and things like that. It's a melding of um, you as a reviewer as well as the actual review itself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great choice to make. Over the three years of being on YouTube, have you noticed a change in your audience? The types of people who follow you, the, the community in general who like to comment and um, discuss fountain pens and socialize on YouTube? Well, as you, you gain more viewers, you're going to get more criticism. You're going to get positives and negatives and that you, you really have to know that going into this, you are not going to make everyone happy. Um, and not everyone is going to agree with you or love what you do. That's just kind of in this area, this era of uh, social media. It's simple for someone to make a post talking about how they don't care for you, which is perfectly fine. I mean, you, you are the more viewers you have, uh, you know, if you make a mistake or say something incorrect, uh, then the chances are greater that someone's really going to call you out on that. And I found that for the most part, the community is extremely positive and supportive to creators, including myself. But um, it can be a challenge because you could receive a thousand positive comments and then you get like one idiot who says something and uh, that that one comment kind of sticks in your craw. And it's hard to let that one single comment go, even though you'd had a thousand positive comments. I, I actually looked it up and since I started my channel, there have been... Uh, just about 20,000 comments left on videos. And and I read every single one of them. I try to I kind of use that as a, a secondary way of, uh, of having interaction with folks that take the time to watch my videos. If they ask me a question that I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm inter they've given me their time that I, I give some of the time back. And I've only had to delete four comments 
from my my channel and and two are actually from the very same person and and it really takes a lot for me to delete your comment because you have every right in the world to disagree disagree with my opinion uh, and state your own opinion but um, it's the manner in which you state your opinion uh, mainly are you adding to the conversation or are you just being a jackass you know there's kind of one or the other like the biggest complaint I, I receive is about my my handwriting that I I use in my examples um, that you know it's it's you unique. And I fully realized that it is an acquired taste. Uh, And that was actually one of my things that I considered when I was thinking about doing video reviews. It's like, okay, I know my handwriting is me. It's not necessarily, you know, the greatest looking cursive or perfection. Uh, You know, do I want to try to do something different or do I just be me? And so I kind of decided, you know what, I'm just going to be me. I'm not going to try to do something that's not me or try to learn calligraphy or something like that just for that. It's like one more thing to focus on. I was trying to just produce videos, not also work on my handwriting. But uh, like the person who uh, who left two of those comments was complaining by my hand about my handwriting and used some uh, some choice language that I couldn't let fly. So um, he dropped a couple of C words. So okay. maybe he was just uh, maybe he was an Australian just being friendly. <laughs> I never thought of that. Maybe I owe him an apology. Well, I, I don't know of any C words that we use just randomly um, <laughs> unless it's as an expletive. <laughs> so but yeah, I, it takes a lot for me to to like want to delete your comment because it has to be something that is, uh, in, in essence, distasteful mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who might say, you know what, I totally disagree with that video or that that pen. You said it was worthwhile. I don't think any pen. I, I was just looking through some videos of a or comments of a video I posted today and there was people complaining about the price of the pen that they said, hey, we don't think I don't think it's worth that. and Nothing should be worth that. And I that's your personal opinion and everyone can have their opinion. And so I want to make sure that you don't cut that off and that you listen to people as well. That's great. Whenever I watch a YouTube video, I tend to scroll down and just have a look at the comments um, because I like to have a gauge of the kind of people who are watching, who are reviewing and also what sort of response that elicits from the creator. And the most encouraging things I find in the comments is when people are discouraging or say something really nasty and then, a community or fellow viewers come up and um, they say, no, that's that's totally the wrong sort of way to phrase it. You're being unnecessarily harsh or um, no, I disagree. And there's a discussion going on in the comments that is protective of the creator, which I think is really great. Sometimes I... Okay, I have deleted many comments before I have hit reply, mainly because sometimes if someone says something that they disagree with or something that you might not necessarily feel is a fair opinion for them to have, your your natural reaction is to want to challenge them on that uh, and kind of say, you know, no, I think that you're mistaken and this is maybe a different way. But you have to kind of weigh, is it worth it to, in essence, pick the fight? Is this a fight that I really need to make? And I think someone sent something on a video that I posted earlier this week uh, and I I was writing something out and then I was done. And then I kind of, you know what? I I don't need to say this. I I don't need to start this fight in a way. And so maybe it was just my therapy and typing it out and not hitting reply. But it was like, I almost thought that me responding to it was going to validate that. And so that you didn't necessarily want to do that as well. So sometimes you do need, you feel the need to reply to somebody to set something straight. 
like I had uh, a review for a, a small pen manufacturer that I uh, reviewed a pen from this small pen manufacturer and someone in the comments was saying something very negative about an experience that they had with that company. And uh, I felt that in that particular case, I did need to jump in there and, and defend the person because it just didn't smell right what this the information this person was giving and it turned out that they weren't they they were basically misrepresenting what happened and things like that and I kind of had to in a way come to the defense of of that pet maker because I didn't want this person spreading misinformation especially on my channel and disparaging someone who I didn't feel deserved it I mean if I feel you deserve it then disparage away but it was not the right format or place for him to uh, vent his customer service issues that he felt were going on uh, and and eventually the the maker responded as well and the person actually ended up deleting their comment after a while so i think they realized that they were in the wrong yeah sometimes you have to respond you have to look at each situation on its own terms it's very hard to make generalizations um it's not something that is pleasant to deal with but the only alternative really is to close down comments entirely and that's not really what you're here for is it no. And, and like I said, I'll receive a thousand perfectly fine, uh, fantastic comments. And the, uh, the vast, vast majority of all the interactions that I have with people are fantastic. Uh, one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed is I feel that through my videos, I've, I've done a lot of work and tried to give to the community, but then the community has really given a lot to me as well. I, I receive emails from folks all around the world asking me questions. Uh, and, uh, and I have people that comment on my videos or my Instagram all the time. I can go to pen shows. And uh, when you go to a pen show, I, you know, nowadays I go to pen shows more for meeting people than um, a long laundry list of pens or things that I need to buy. And I remember going to DC and I really didn't have a list of anything I wanted to buy. I just wanted to hang out with friends and, and hang out with people that are viewers and things like that. And so the community has really given a lot back to me as well. And, and I appreciate that. And I, I want to make sure that I'm a, a good uh, a caretaker of that as well. Were you involved in the community before you started producing content on YouTube or was that something that came about through your involvement on YouTube? Uh, no, that I, I've been collecting pens and using pens for maybe about six or seven years. You know, for the longest time, I had like two pens. I, uh, I had a friend at work who had a Lamy All-Star and he said, and I, I, I noticed it one day and he said, hey, you should go buy a fountain pen. And so I did. And I used that All-Star for you know, for maybe like a year. Then I was on a on a vacation, came across a stationery store, and they had a uh, a safari, and so I bought that safari. And then uh, someone gave me a, a Parker Urban. So I had those three pens for probably like three or four years, and I I was perfectly happy with those pens. Uh, and then I. I just kind of thought, you know, what else is out there? What else is kind of cool out there? And that's a very dangerous question to to ask yourself. And I um, started like devouring reviews and mainly trying to figure out what is it that I wanted to purchase next? Because just like everyone else, I, there is so much out there. You have no idea what's a good pen. And, you know, the fact that you're going to spend $50 on a pen, which was what I was looking for for my next pen or $45, that's a lot of money, especially for someone who isn't you kind of become desensitized after a while to how much these pens cost yes. but when you're first starting off it's like fifty dollars that's insane for me to spend fifty dollars on mm -hmm. a pen uh, and so I did tons of research you know sometimes you you see content and 
you know you can't do that. Not to discourage yourself, but you kind of know that, okay, that's not me. I can't do that. But when I see people doing video reviews and creating content like that, uh, I had enough of a background to where I could say, you know what? I could do that. Uh, and then it became a thing of, okay, yes, I know I could physically do it, but then why would someone want to watch me or listen to me over somebody else? What, what new could I bring to the table and why would someone want to watch me over something else? And how could I be different or unique or entertaining uh, as opposed to, you know, all of the other videos that are out there. And so I, I really wanted to focus a lot on, um, on doing a ton of research and trying to find some of the facts and things like that, that you hadn't heard on some of the other videos. One of my favorite reviews that I did was on uh, the Lummy 2000. And that's a pen that, I mean, there are hundreds of reviews out there for a Lummy 2000. And it's one of those pens that you almost feel like you have to do to have in your catalog just so just someone wants to see, you know, it's something that someone wants to look up on a regular basis. I did a lot of research because I'm like, okay, what angle am I going to take that you haven't heard a hundred times on every all these other reviews and I was actually able to find something that I had never heard before because I was researching the gentleman uh, I think his name is Bernard Mueller I I believe that's his name uh, who designed the pen and Lamy uh, has no in-house designers and so they bring people in in order to design each of their pens because they're not designing new pens all the time this particular gentleman previously had worked for Braun the shaver company and that he was one of the people behind the the most iconic brawn shaver now I, I can't remember the name of the 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 shaver but I soon I, I I was looking through this guy's history and saw this shaver and so I, I pulled up a picture of the shaver to see what it is it looks exactly like a Lamy 2000 mm -hmm. this shaver looks exactly like it with the silver at the top kind of the brushed silver and the black bot it looks exactly like the Lamy 2000 and so I was kind of like giddy because I like found something that I could talk about about the Lamy 2000 2000 that I don't think I had heard anyone else discuss before. So those are the types of things that when I'm doing my research, I try to find that item. What is that thing that someone's going to be able to watch my video and get that that no one else is going to have out there? You know, like I said, it's just in order to make the videos interesting. You know, you don't need someone who is just going to sit there and rattle off facts to you for for 10 or 15 minutes. You know, give me something new. Give me something different. Give me something entertaining. I started to do some ink reviews or I've been doing more ink reviews in order to, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say boring, but just sitting there showing an ink. And so what I usually do is every single ink review I do, I incorporate talking about a movie or some kind of entertainment, because then uh, what I do is for the writing sample, I'll actually disc, I'll have writing sample about that piece of entertainment. And so it kind of serves a dual purpose is, okay, what am I going to write you know, in, in, you know, a fine, a fine nib and a medium nib and a bold nib. Well, if I'm kind of talking about some kind of piece of media, then I could probably talk about a little bit about that. I'm a big, I'm a film buff as well. And so, okay, I have a, a review coming out. Um, I need to finish writing it, but somewhat in the near future for an ink that is the uh, Monteverde Mercury Noir. So for that one, I'm going to talk about film noir, just a little bit of film history about what is film noir. Uh, what does it refer to? You know, for each of the writing samples, I'm kind of going over, okay, what are like the three tropes in film noir? And that's what I'm going to do. And so I kind of tie in a little film education. That's great. It makes it interesting for you too. 
yeah, it, it makes it interesting for me and it, it gives you something to talk about as opposed to, yeah, this is an ink, this is the shading, this is the sheen, this is this. And those can be a little bit more formulaic. And there's, I found that there's, especially when it comes to ink, there's like less to talk about than when it, a pen that has more parts to it and more things to discuss. Do you have a method of picking what you're going to be reviewing next, whether it's a pen or an ink? Is it just random, whatever's new, whatever you're interested in at the moment? Well, I will say that when I first started off that um, I was just reviewing pens out of my own personal collection. And so it was just pens that I that I had. Uh, I went back and looked up and it wasn't until my 30th video that I started to work with a, a retailer where someone had provided me with a pen for review. That was like my very first giveaway that I did because what I would end up doing was rather than just contacting a retailer, in essence, begging for a pen, hey, I'm a reviewer, give me a pen. I started off by purchasing one and then I said, hey, I'm buying one. Do you mind throwing in a second one for free and I'll do a review on that and that was kind of my, my initial method for a couple of retailers so that they would be a little more open to potentially providing me with something for free as opposed to me just calling and saying, hey, or, or emailing and saying, hey, please give me something to review. That way, it, you know, that I wasn't just begging for pens. And that as my channel has grown, that I've been able to to build a lot of relationships with various manufacturers and distributors and retailers. And again, just like you need, I think you need to grow because in essence, if they provide you with something, then, you know, it's a marketing expense for them. They, they're looking for exposure for that particular pen. And while I want to have integrity and, uh, and review that the way it needs to be reviewed, I also understand that it's a marketing piece for them. And so I, I make sure that I represent the product in, in the way I think it needs to be represented. Now I'm not just because someone gives me something doesn't mean I'm only going to say positive things about it. Um, and, and the man, and the manufacturers and people who provide me with things know that, but I, I, I do try to present it in a way that, you know, that, that the manufacturers would like it as well, uh, as far as how I'm showing off their product and showing it off. And I want to say in the best light, I just meant showing it off in the best way possible, introducing my opinion to it as well. To, to get back to your question is how I choose is lately that kind of went from a transition to where I still have a lot of pens, my own personal collection I haven't gotten to. And I kind of interspersed those throughout, but then more and more I have, as my channel has grown and I built those relationships that I um, have more products that are provided to me to review um, sometimes on loan, other times to give away the vast majority of the time, like 95% of the time, if someone provides me with something um, I give it away. So I'm, I'm not doing, this just so people send me things and I get things for free. I turn around and, and give them away to review or give them away to viewers. And then I think also then retailers are more apt to give me something if they know that I'm not necessarily in it just to for own personal gains, that I'm turning around and giving this to one, you know, giving this to a, re, a user, which also then might give a little bit more attention to the review and, uh, and garner a little bit more attention on the giveaway. And so what happens is uh, I'm provided more products from uh, for manufacturers and retailers. And so especially after like the DC show that was last month or month before, uh, not that long ago, I kind of had a, a larger number of things that I acquired at the show that I are kind of reviews that I need to get to because I, you know, some, if someone provided me with something that I kind of feel a commitment to get, get something out in a, a somewhat timely manner, it can't be six months and, and,
and then me just randomly get around something. And and I think a lot of that goes into being the professionalism. If I'm professional with my reviews and they provide me with something and I turn it around and I, I again, I'm providing my own personal opinion and it doesn't matter if someone gives me something, I'm going to tell you what I feel about it. But if um, I'm professional about it, then the likelihood that that manufacturer or retailer then would provide me with something else would be greater. It kind of, you know, like a business relationship. If they've, uh, you know, had a good relationship, then it's more likely they'll do business with you again. And so um, lately, I kind of have a backlog of things that I need to get to uh, that uh, have been provided to me. Some I'm looking forward to more than others, and some fit more into my own personal tastes than others. It's interesting because sometimes when I'm reviewing pens from my own personal collection, it's something I wanted, something I bought, something that interests me. But then a lot of times someone will send me something that is not in my interest whatsoever. And so... Just because that pen is not in my personal interest, that does not mean it's a bad pen. But then there might be 50, 60 percent of the people out there that watch my video that it might fit perfectly for. And so I I try to make sure that I I rarely say like declarative statements. I never say like this pen is bad or this section is bad unless it truly is or something is physically wrong with the pen. I'm very conscious of the words I use and I might say that, oh, okay, this pen has a very small section. And for me with my grip, I find I have to pinch it a little bit too much and my finger slips over the edge. I kind of always relate it to this is how it relates to me because someone else out there might be, you know what? I love thin sections and I don't want to make them feel like they're, they're wrong for liking thinner sections because it's a personal preference. I kind of describe it and then how it affects me personally. I was recently sent a couple of pens that are really not in my wheelhouse and I'm kind of debating how I'm going to talk about them because I want to give them a fair review, but just because it's not necessarily something I would purchase doesn't mean it wouldn't be interesting for people to talk about. Have you ever had to say to a maker or a retailer who are asking you if you'd like to review something in particular, have you ever had to decline them or just politely say, I'm sorry, I don't think I can, in fairness, please both you and my listeners and my own integrity by reviewing this product? Yes, I I have had to do that. And I I sat down and I'll be rather vague just because I I just want to be vague on this, but I... Someone was very nice in letting me spend time with a pen and had it on loan. And there was just a lot of questions that I had around this pen. And it was just like a feeling in my gut like things weren't right, if that makes sense. There wasn't anything I could necessarily tie it to. It was just your spidey sense of just saying something isn't right with this for a number of vague reasons. And I just felt like I did not want to be a part of this. And I didn't necessarily want to promote what I felt I couldn't necessarily stand behind 100% or speak with confidence with. There was just too many weird things going on. And I physically shot a review. I I wasn't super pleased with it when I shot it. And I I honestly haven't even gone back and watched the footage just because I I wasn't pleased with it. But even if that wasn't the case, I I would have tried to cobble it together. But I I ended up having to say, no, I really am going to pass on doing this just because you want to keep your integrity and that if I produce something on that, that it might uh, have damaged that if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it could be damaging for you. It could be damaging for the maker or the retailer as well, turning on what was wrong with it. When you are reviewing something that is your own, have you ever had the experience um, 
well, since you've listened to the last episode, you know that Sharon, my co-host, um, she suggested that something that she would like to see a lot more in reviews is second takes, a review that is the immediate reaction and maybe a few months or a few years even down the line. And I know that there are production limitations because the likelihood that you'll have the same setup, the same pen, the same person still creating content months down the line or years down the line, that limits what you can review. But I think if that is possible, that would be a great resource for people to have. Um, Have you ever considered something like that? Or have you had a second take on a pen that you've already reviewed in the past? It's something I've considered. You know, I, I always kind of try to look for new and different things to do. Like, for example, I last week I, I put out a video in regard to just choosing your 10 favorite inks. I basically said, OK, uh, you could only have 10 inks for the rest of your life. What are those 10 inks? And so then you had to figure out, OK, you know, uh, first of all, you know, I really love blues. But, you know, how many blues do you have? You really can't, you know, have five blues because then you only have five other colors. And so you have to figure out what do, what color deserves a slot. And then, OK, I'm going to have a brown, but then which brown? It was like an elimination to where I, I kind of laid out all of the ink. I, I had a like maybe six or seven inks I considered for that slot, and kind of, it was. It, I just thought it made sort of something visually interesting, and um, I, I was trying to do something different and different and unique, and and I just came up with the idea and just shot it in rather short order. So I've, I've thought about revisiting things like that, and I think. For me, at least, it comes into limitations of, okay, I have 10 pens right now that I have to get to, and it's then taking that slot and creating something that that, that still might be useful, um, but isn't necessarily chopping down my to-do list because it's something necessarily that isn't on there. Now, I do have a notebook that I do plan on doing a follow-up on. Um, I have uh, my Hippo Noto that I am going to – be doing another review on in the somewhat near future. That one is actually going to be a follow-up and okay, I've been using this notebook for the last six, seven months and how do I feel about it? And then I actually have one to give away, but I, I will be doing not for a pen, but for a notebook, which I think is helpful too, because sometimes when you're viewing notebooks, you know, you can kind of, yeah, it, you can go over the features and go over the paper and, and you kind of think about how it is going to be to use it. But I've literally carried this thing around with me for six, seven months and used it on a daily basis. And so I think that, that I, that I'd be able to add some more insight of what it's like to use it on a daily basis, as opposed to just kind of a general overview of it. So not in regard to a pen, but one in regard to a notebook will be coming out. Do you have a favorite type of thing that you like to review? Are there pens that you look at, you know, whether it's something that you really like, that you immediately think that is going to the front of my to-do list? I'm definitely reviewing that next. Um, my 18111 got moved way up the list, and I might just do something on this next week just because I, I'm using it so much that it's like I, I want to I want other people to know about this company as well because uh, I'm so in love with this pen uh, that – 
it, it performs really well. This pen using it just kind of gets me a little bit giddy. So I'll have to kind of uh, suppress some of that giddiness when I'm going over the review. But something like that has really moved up the list just because I I, I just enjoy carrying it and holding it and, and, and using it on a regular basis. And so, um, you know, every once in a while, you kind of kind of get attached to something like that and it might shoot up the list or like that ink video. I, I came up with that idea on a whim. I'm not even quite sure where it came from. And then I just, you know, shot it and then it was aired the next week. And so that kind of cut the line as well. So um, anytime I feel that there's going to be something new and different or something I get excited about, that kind of is the motivation for then, okay, now I can insert it uh, and do something a little bit different than the norm. Are you someone who enjoys writing or doing critical reviews? Because I know there's a school of thought that being needlessly negative or contrarian gets you more more viewers, more eyeballs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As far as I, I think that negative does get you more more clicks. Like, uh, you know, two of my most viewed videos uh, that I have, uh, one was how do you spot a fake Mont Blanc? So that's kind of, we'll say a negative type. And then my top review as far as views is, is a video I said, uh, pens I regret buying. And so it was just a list of things. But if you listen to my channel that I, I have a tendency to skew very positive. And even when I say something negative about a pen, I don't harp on it. I'll state it. I kind of skew it in a positive manner. I'm not uber critical of them and harping on it and harping and harping. I'll mention it, but I'm not necessarily keeping a negative attitude. I try to accentuate the positive, but I'm not afraid of mentioning the negative. But overall, I'm kind of skewing positive. Even with my pens I regret buying, uh, what I did was I had a list of pens that I would I had like maybe four or five pens that I, I honestly regretted buying that I, I didn't care for. But then what I did for each of those pens is I said, okay, instead of this pen, here's an alternative. This one is one you could purchase that kind of hits more of the good spots than uh, than this other pen. So even in my video where I was in essence saying don't buy these or these five pens don't work for me. I was trying to stay positive in each way saying, you know, hey, this one doesn't work for you, me, but this one does. And they all kind of had a relation to it. So even in my quote unquote negative video, I tried to stay very positive. My reviews are not just for people who are just like me because everyone is different and you don't want you want to make sure that you have a, a, as wide of an audience as possible and and provide information to a wide audience, not just a narrow audience. And that's like coming up, like I said, some of the pens that are going to be a challenge because they are just not my cup of tea, but but yet they deserve some attention and they're unique and um, I'll have to come up with positive things to say about them, but then also uh, explain why it doesn't work for me personally. But then you don't want to put down someone who says, looks at it and says, Hey, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. It's, it's perfect for me. You don't want to make them feel bad for liking it because it's not bad. We all have different tastes. There are certain things that I probably care for that other people don't care for and, and would look at that and say, why do you even like that? So you got to kind of take, keep everyone in mind. Mm-hmm. While you're putting out one video a week, are you also keeping up with your peers? Do you read other people's reviews or watch other people's reviews and get ideas about what they're doing? To a 
point, uh, when I first started in this hobby, I devoured reviews. I mean, if I was considering buying a specific pen, I tried to find every single review I could find, written, video, and I would just devour. Uh, and I have found that over time, I have watched less and less. And um, that's for a number of different reasons. Part of it is intentional because I, I still enjoy the work of a lot of reviewers uh, and they have been very nice to me and kind to me and I hold some as, as close friends, but I, I want to make sure that I'm, my opinion is my own. It's, you know, There's a lot of times when, uh, let's say a manufacturer comes out with a new pen and that they kind of have that circle of reviewers and bloggers that everyone has relationships with. And so that's why every once in a while a new pen comes out and you see all of these reviews on it at the same time. It's because, you know, that all of these pens were distributed to folks and then 30 to 60 days later, you're going to start seeing these reviews pop up, especially if someone is doing a, a review of a pen that I'm going to review as well. I honestly don't want to watch it. I don't want to be influenced by that because I want my opinion to be my own. And if I say the exact same thing as they did on something, I want it to happen because that's my opinion, not because someone felt that, hey, that's just what someone else said on this and you said the exact same thing. I just want folks to know that if, if it's coming from me, then it's from me. And, you know, I might be on the fence of whether I care for something and don't, or maybe I really like it. And then uh, someone has a real negative review on it. And then I might be skewed the other way just by their review as opposed to my opinion. So I, I don't devour as much as I used to um, that I, I do watch on occasion, but I, I kind of shy away with it more just because I'm kind of focused more on the creation aspect as opposed to the devouring aspect. Got it. You mentioned that you were at the DC pen show. I, I don't remember how many weeks ago it was, but it was fairly recent because I'm still seeing post-show haul videos or, or um, photos on Instagram and Facebook. Was that the first show you've been to? Uh, no, no, I've, uh, I'm fortunate enough to be in an area where I, I am in the Raleigh-Durham area. We actually have a, a pen show uh, in the Raleigh-Durham area uh, called the Triangle Pen Show. Uh, and that is one that's um, kind of a medium-sized show. Uh, I've been to that for three years, three, four years I've been to that show. Then I also usually typically travel down to Atlanta. Atlanta is kind of a, we'll say a medium large show and I'll travel to the Atlanta show and I've done that for a couple of years and then I'll go up to DC and, and do the DC show. And DC is the, the largest show. Uh, they say it's the largest show in the world, but um, I have not been outside to see. I know, I know it's the largest in the US. The, the first few times you're kind of in awe and it's very overwhelming just because you can't imagine that, you know, there's, you know, 2000 people here and there's just hundreds and hundreds of tables and it can get very overwhelming. But then after you've been to a few, you kind of understand better how to kind of make your way through. And as I mentioned earlier, like this time to D.C., I didn't even have a shopping list. I wasn't even planning on buying anything uh, and until I, I saw that 18111 pen. And that was the only pen that I purchased uh, while I was at the show. You go there because it's basically it's every time you go to a show, it's your family reunion. Uh, and it's a chance to meet and spend time with all of the retailers that I've established relationships with. And it's a good time to spend time with them. Uh, and then also with the individuals that are friends and, and viewers that are visiting the show. Now, you guys have the Cindy Penn show, show coming. Is it, has it happened already or it's fairly soon? Or We had the very first Cindy Penn show at the end of August. Um, so it was just a month ago. So how was that? It was it was pretty amazing. <laughs> um, of course, 
I think by US standards, it would be considered a small show. We had about 600, 700 attendees during the course of a, uh, a one-day show. And I was a volunteer for the whole day. All the people who volunteered and who were the organizers, they're either close friends of mine and um, people I work with, whether it's on the podcast or on the Facebook group, or they're people who know the organizers through the Facebook group or through the podcast. So it was really, it felt like um, a group effort putting on this show and um, having it be a success. So it was, it was a really good start. Um, and we're already looking forward to next year. Did it feel like a, a trade show or was it almost like a kind of a, a, ben, a, big, a very large pen club meeting uh, and kind of just a group of people getting together? It was a bit of both. It was a lot of people getting together, but because of the size of the venue and because we were in an exhibition space that was on Darling Harbour, which is um, a very busy tourist area, there wasn't a lot of spots for socialising on the actual show floor. The show floor was more like a um, an exhibitor's, a trade show. But also I think what um, is different in Australia is that while we do have quite a few local retailers and pen and stationery distributors, what we don't have are a preponderance of small scale makers, producers, yep. pen manufacturers, uh, small brands, just because the size of our market is so small. We only have 22 million people in all of Australia. Um, and Sydney is a city of 5 million people. So it's very hard to make it as a small scale producer if you only sell within Australia. Um, so the people who had tables, they generally were either retailers, uh, a lot of online retailers were there, or they were actual brands. So Pilot um, came from Japan and they actually sent a lot of um, display pieces over and they had a very big stall at the pen show. Nice. Um, just out of curiosity, I, that I know that there was a lot, at least in the United States, there's a lot of smaller pen makers um, that have some of these pen makers been able to kind of uh, make a name for themselves in Australia as well. Is yes, there in, in the community? So what what are some of the smaller U.S. pen makers that have kind of become more renowned in the Australian community? So Yoshi, um, I don't know his surname, I'm sorry, but um, the maker of the, the Night Sky Sakura that you mentioned, yes. his photos have made such a splash on Instagram, but none of his pens have made their way down under yet. So I've never seen one in person. Um, and he is definitely one of those makers that I think has been given some exposure outside of the US by Leigh Reyes, who visits a lot of the um, US shows. He is definitely one maker that I would consider flying to the US and attending a trade show just to see his products. Another would be um, Franklin Christoph, although they're not so small scale anymore. They're more of a medium scale, I think, a manufacturer who also sell through retailers. Yeah. Franklin Christoph is about 45 minutes away from where I live. So they, oh, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're right. They're, they're, they're close to where I, uh, where I live and I've, I've had the chance to visit their facility before. And so that's, that's kind of nice to see, but yeah, that's like a, a me we'll say a medium sized. Yeah. Medium size. There's nothing like that. Um, in Australia, really, there's a few people who are making, who are turning their own pens, but they don't make it on a scale that allows them to be big names, even within Australia, not yet. I think they're in the process of hopefully building to that point, but we're still in early days. And hopefully I think one of the aims of the show, creating the show and making it be a long-term project would be to support those local makers and 
help them gain some traction and some exposure. So one of the co-hosts on the podcast, Max Shoemaker, who is a young lad just out of university, but with a great entrepreneurial spirit and real interest in handcrafts. So he's a woodmaker. He turns pens. He is a tuner. He does work tuning other people's nibs as well. So he's a really a man of all crafts. And he set up his first table at the Sydney Pen Show and he got a lot of customers during the whole day. Not so much selling his own pens because it takes a lot of time for him, but he had a lot of opportunities to work on other people's nibs. And I'm sure he found that very valuable. Really happy that um, the show gave him that opportunity. Uh, are there many uh, nib meisters or people that do nib tuning and repair uh, in that area? There are a few in Melbourne that I know of. There's a few in Sydney. There is one in Brisbane who I know by name, but he only does work through one of the retailer chains, the, the pen store chains. No one, I think, who has anywhere near the level of name recognition as, say, Mike Matsuyama or John Modishaw. But there are a few local people that we can say are trustworthy, but um, also a few in Sydney that I consider to be friends as well, who I can get to look at my nibs. But I, I would say it's still a very immature sort of market over here, just because the base is so small. And I think it's intimidating for other people from overseas to consider sending them here, because in the US you have so many um, nibmeisters. Yeah, and that's one of the um, uh, one of the appeals of a show as well is knowing that there's going to be, you know, five or six or or even more uh, nibmeisters or people that do repairs there. And so I know I have a pen that needs some repair, and so you know, rather than sending it off to someone, I'm just going to keep it with me. And the next time, the next show I go to, then that's just kind of a to do list I have, and you, you know, figure out who you want to do the work and get on their list, and uh, and then have them do the work just right then and there for you, which, uh, which is kind of nice to then have some personal interaction with the folks as well, because uh, we have such a, a personal connection to every one of our pens. And sometimes when you have that nib work done on it, you're not just saying, oh, like you mentioned Mike Matsuyama's name. It's not just, oh, I got this nib tuned. It's, oh, I got this tuned by Mike Matsuyama. And if you could tell that story of I just sat down at his table and Mike just did it right in front of me, then that almost adds even more of a personal touch to that pen. And you feel like you have more of a connection with it because uh, you saw the the master craftsman uh, kind of do his do his stuff right there in front of you on that pen. So um, having that interaction is uh, is valuable. Plus, everyone's just great to deal with as well. For the most part, there's just a lot of really good, solid people um, at the shows and uh, and the retailers as well. Absolutely. Sydney Pen Show was the first I've been to, so I think the experience of being to one of the larger shows in the US, that would be both just overwhelming and also um, an incredibly exciting experience. Um, and meeting people would be great. A lot of the shows have their own personalities. Um, like the, um, the Los Angeles show is very much focused on uh, more vintage pens, and I have not been to the Los Angeles show, but I've... I've heard it described as a, a show not having a soul, if that makes sense, to where it 
a lot of the the people that are in the pen community feel that they don't necessarily have as much of a connection to that show, even though it's large in size, as opposed to um, a show like in San Francisco, which has gotten some um, that's usually held a, a week or two after DC that has gotten fantastic pub and uh, San Francisco has a fantastic pen community. You hear nothing but fantastic things from anyone who goes to that show. And so that show um, has gotten a lot of very positive buzz. There was one show that uh, I I might consider going to this year in St. Louis, which is in the Midwest, basically directly in the center of the, the country. And it was a brand new pen show. And the people that were running this show did everything that they could to make it successful. And they did their research. They actually visited dozens of shows to basically figure out what works, what doesn't work, and like really did their research in order to make it work. Um, not only make it work for the customers, but make it work for the vendors so that the vendors were happy with the show. And from everything I heard, it went off fantastic. Uh, and that all of the vendors that went said it was like one of the best run shows that they've ever been to. And it was the very first year that that show ever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it can happen right out of the gate. Um, DC can be rather overwhelming just because you get a lot of folks that only go to DC, that they don't go to any other show. And so you can kind of get a, a larger gamut of things to view. Um, and then there's even a, a show like Atlanta that has a really good uh, social media presence to where it seems like there's a lot of social media folks, the cr- a lot of creators go to that show. And so it's, it's fun to, to hang out with your other creators as well as the, as well as everyone in the community, but there's, there's a large amount of people that attend that show. And so it's kind of nice to, to, to have that going as well. So there's every show can kind of have its own personality. And sometimes it takes a while for that personality to develop, especially like you said, if you have a smaller community, then you kind of have to figure out what, you know, what it is we have now. Uh, did you guys have a Pelican hub this past Friday? So this is Sunday. This is Sunday morning for me here. So we had it on Friday night, two nights ago. It was the largest city hub yet. Um, there were more than 74, I think registered attendees. Um, I'm not sure how many people actually turned up because just a normal course of events, people have other commitments. And um, um, I think definitely most of the people um, showed up. That's that's fantastic. That's a, I mean, because I know that uh, our Raleigh group or Raleigh Durham group is one of the larger ones in the country. And, you know, I don't know if we had we must have had 50 or 60. I, I didn't do a head count, uh, maybe 60 folks or so. So having 70 folks or 75 folks shows up is one of the larger ones in the world, I believe. Yeah, um, we're really proud of what Sydney has managed to build, I think, as a pen community. Because we have regular um, social events every month, and we just happened to make the Pelican Hub our event for September. In August, it was the pen show, which took over our regular meetup. But next month, we'll be back to our usual Sunday or Saturday pen meetups. We're all doing it just for love of it. We're not connected to any retailers or anything like that. It's just a way to make meet new people to share our interests. So we sort of saw the Pelican Hub as another expression of that love and um what we were doing for the community in that aspect yeah absolutely but i know that um different pelican hubs around the world take different expressions and i think there was some um there were some logistical problems i think in the u.s recently yes i 
I, I uh, we we received all of our things, but I did hear that there were some hubs that did not receive their their materials in time for the hub. Uh, I don't know how many were affected, but I I, I did hear some murmuring that uh, that there was some logistical issues. Mm-hmm. But like uh, like like you guys, our, our pen club in our area meets once a month, and uh, we took this as an extra meeting since it's on a Friday night. Normally we meet on a, a Sunday. Uh, it was the it's an opportunity for some folks who couldn't normally go to a Sunday meeting to then go to this particular meeting, and so it's usually our our largest one of our largest attended meetings of the year. And there's people that I'll see there that I don't see at the regular monthly meetings because we normally have maybe around twenty people that get together on a monthly basis for our our Triangle Pen Club, which is a nice group of people, and that it's you know it's like a social club. You're there not just to talk about pens. You're there just to see your friends and talk about a common interest. And, uh, and usually we'll have a theme of the week or theme of the day. And, and it's just an opportunity to get together with friends and to share a common interest. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Pens are a bonus, of course. And it's always great when we have new people who've never been to one of our regular meets, and then we can see their pens and what they're doing. And hopefully they'll become one of the regulars. We have usually uh, just on average 30, 40 people attend every month. Um, of oh, that's which, awesome. Of which about 15 to 20 are regulars who go almost every month. And a lot of them are just friends I don't see any other time except for at the pen meets. No, that's great. That's great to have a, 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 you have a decent-sized community there and a, a large one to pool from, which is nice because we have some very large cities in the United States with, with no, you know, with no place to purchase any pens uh, no retailers whatsoever. Like in Los Angeles, there's pretty uh, – to go to a place to actually purchase a fountain pen in a brick-and-mortar store is very hard to do in Los Angeles, which is the the second largest city in the country. We're very fortunate that we have a very large and vibrant community where I live, and, and that's not the same as other places in the country. Is there anything that you wanted to share about – projects that you have upcoming that you you know want to prepare listeners for i i know you already mentioned that you're hopefully going to be reviewing the night sky sakura soon um i'm looking forward to that um you have a maybe a special guest early next year but you'll keep that secret for now is there anything else that you have on the lineup um, I mean, I, I have a long list of pens I need to get to. Something I picked up in DC from a uh, a Taiwanese company called Penlux that I was not familiar with until I met them in DC. Uh, and they have a metal pen and it is called the metallic that that's a review I need to be getting to. Um, I, uh, it was originally when it was first given to me at the DC show, the name of it was called the Metallica. Uh, and they have <laughs> since changed the name to avoid confusion with the American heavy metal group. And so it is now called the metallic but uh, it's a very interesting uh, metal pen from a company that I had not heard of until literally the last day of the DC show. A pen that I recently purchased that I'll, I'll be reviewing sooner rather than later is – I still need to do a lot of research to find out more about it. But it's a Chinese brand called Live in You. Are you familiar with Live in You? Not at all. The material of this pen is one of the most strikingly beautiful materials I have on any of my pens. Uh, it's a swirling acrylic that is just amazing to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out my my Instagram feed, and I I, I take a, a 
a pen to work with me every single day. And I'll usually take a pen with or take a picture of that pen. And that's my pen of the day that I, I have. And so if you look back through my feed, you'll be able to see some pictures of this. Uh, it's called the live in you shoe S H I Y O U. But then again, I've seen like three different names for this pen. So I, I think part of it is one of those things to where it's like the thrill of the, uh, the chase to where it's hard to find. And so when you finally find one, you're, you're happy with it because uh, all of a sudden 10 people ask you, where did you get it? And it was because this retailer had one and I got it type of thing. And uh, they're not quite sure when they're getting more in, but I need to find out more about it, but it's intriguing because whenever I show this pen to people, they're just aghast at how, um, how beautiful the acrylic is. I'm going to, I'm going to describe it for uh, listeners. It's a long, acrylic cap and barrel same acrylic it's like a translucent similar to the coke bottle sort of effect um, with a little bit of opaqueness but mostly white frosty um, acrylic but with these incredible white um, aqua and pale blue swirls through it i don't know how to describe that it reminds me of some of the demos that visconti has made with incredible swirl resins yeah. When you first showed it to me, I thought perhaps that had to be a Brooks resin. No, it's not. It's not Brooks resin. It has an incredible amount of depth to it and ribboning. I think that's the word that I probably, it's It's not necessarily swirls. It's like ribboning throughout the material. Uh, yeah, no, you described it well, but it, it's, it's a little bit different than Jonathan Brooks material, um, that he has his own distinct and uh, amazing style. And not to just promote my channel, but I, I uh, at the Triangle Show, I actually sat down with Jonathan and did an interview where we discussed a lot of his uh, Arushi work that he is doing. Uh, and I thought it was a, a fascinating conversation just because I learned a lot. Because Jonathan, uh, if you're not – I don't know how familiar uh, Australian folks are with Jonathan Brooks and the material and his the materials that he creates. A little bit. And a lot, let's just put it this way that if you see a custom pen maker with amazing acrylic, mm -hmm. the chance is very high that it is a Brooks material because he turns his own pens, he makes his own pens, but then he also um, sells uh, uh, acrylics to uh, a number of different companies. Like he does all of the amazing work for the Canalea pen company. So if you see any of the Canalea pens, those are custom acrylics that he only does for uh, for that company, and they're uh, just some of the finest I've seen. Um, and that he's experimenting with all sorts of new techniques, and he's really been getting into Arushi work lately, and a lot of different Arushi styles. And it was it, it was a fun conversation to sit down and hear someone who is truly a master craftsman and someone who's learning, who just says, you know what, hey, I want to pick up Arushi and. Uh, what he has done. And it was just kind of interesting because again, you know, like we were talking about when you look at something and you say, you know, I can do this or I can't do this. I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not artistic. I can't draw. I can't do those things. I might, a pen that I physically would make would not be appealing to anybody. And so to, to have someone who can make a, a work of art that is functional, uh, it, for me, I found it fascinating. So that might be interesting to listen to the the conversation I have with him, but yeah, that, that, the, but this live in you, uh, pen is just unique in it, the acrylics so much that, um, it, it was something again, that I just can hardly take my eyes off of. The live in you pen, was that something you picked up at the DC pen show as well? 
No. Um, how I acquired that pen was very random. It was, I saw a post somewhere on a message board of someone that had one. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I have to have one of these. And they're, um, you know, the retail on them is about a hundred dollars. So they're not super expensive. And I was like, I have to have it, but I couldn't figure out where to buy it because there it's a random brand out of China. And so I found a retailer that sold them. And the only way to contact this retailer was through their, a Facebook messenger you know, through Facebook. So I contacted them and it happened to be as the San Francisco show was going on. And so I contacted them and they said, you know what? We have one pen at the show with us. Do you want that one? And I said, yes, yes. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then I, I, so I purchased it, but apparently at the show, they still had it. They wanted to keep it at their table so they could still show it off. And they had a little sold sign on it. And um, I saw multiple uh, social media posts from a couple of friends complaining that the pen was sold. I, I made a comment saying, yeah, it's sold to me. And they were complaining that even though I was on the other side of the country and not attending the show, that I was sniping their pens from them at the show. And so that was just kind of some fun banter to go back and forth. But are you are you willing to share the name of your dealer, the one who sold you the pen? Uh, it was called uh, Straits Pen. Straits pen. Um, I've, I noticed I've, I've taken two hours of your time. <laughs> but um, I'm so glad um, we finally got a chance to chat and um, not just to talk about YouTube, but things in general. Before you sign off, do you want to share a recommendation with us? It doesn't have to be fountain pen related, just something that you're enjoying right now. You know what? I would say there's a couple of um, Netflix shows that I watched that I really enjoyed. Um, there was one called Mindhunter. That was excellent. Um, and that one was basically um, based on the FBI in the U.S. and how it was a very straight-laced organization and how they this one group introduced the idea of serial killers because the concept of a serial killer wasn't even something that was an idea for people. And then they basically worked into uh, how to develop uh, criminal profiling and things like that, which – uh, which kind of was a, a foreign concept to people. And so it was basically they would go out and interview all of these serial killers to learn more about them. And so it's somewhat based on fact. Uh, and so it was a fascinating show to to watch and very well done. Um, the one I watched also, the second show I watched recently um, is called Dark Tourist, which is uh, a David Ferrier documentary program. David Ferrier's out of New Zealand and he's a documentary filmmaker that made an excellent a documentary film, maybe Maybe three years ago called tickled which is fantastic it's amazing uh the dark tourist is a, a very interesting series where he travels around the world to visit different we'll say quote unquote dark tourist sites meaning that um like dave goes and visits the uh, uh in japan the site that where all of the uh atomic waste is after the uh, Fukuya, Fuka, uh, I, I, that site, because there's tourists that go there because they want to get close to the site. And, and he's part of that. Or he, one of the most fascinating episodes was he goes down to Africa and uh, I, I forget which country he was in, in Africa, but um, he was 
exploring the voodoo religion and how there's certain areas and certain cultures down there where this is like the that's the most predominant religion and in the u.s we kind of think of voodoo as something a little comical and not and this is the actual religion they believe in and he goes through a lot of the ceremonies and kind of what is it to believe in this voodoo religion it was it was fascinating it's maybe only like seven or eight episodes and each time he goes to a different country so but uh between that Dark Tourist and that Tickled, uh, those are both two uh, excellent things that he's done in my mind. So those are my recommendations. A lot of great um, documentary series and movies on Netflix. I'm, gr- I'm glad that people are getting to watch these documentaries. Well, also, it's interesting just to not be so narrow-minded that um, you only watch things that you like or watch things that that interest you. Sometimes it's helpful to watch something that you would never even think of that, you know, that uh, is totally against, like when we were talking about like this voodoo religion that they talked about, it was fascinating to see how these people, how they lived and how it worked into their culture. Because just because it's different than you doesn't mean it's wrong that um, they look at us and probably see, you know, the Western culture and feel the same way, probably. I, I think it helps round you as a person to have a better understanding and acceptance of others uh, that just because someone lives differently than you and their opinion is different doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're different. From the outside, anything can look a bit strange. Catholicism can look like a, like a blood cult. Yeah. Or if you own hundreds of fountain pens, yes. that you might seem like a freak. <laughs> and people don't quite understand, you know, if someone told you that, hey, I spent $1,200 on a pen, then they're going to look at you like you need to be in a mental institution or something like that. And who knows, maybe we should be. But after a while, that that's not so strange because we're used to that culture. Um, so becoming more well-rounded is something I, I at least attempt to do. Yeah, always a good thing to aim for. Um, I'm going to go through my recommendation quickly. I don't know if you read graphic novels, but one of my favourite graphic novels and a formative uh, piece of literature that um, I've read is a comic book series by Mike Carey, who is a novelist and also a comics writer. And his latest series of graphic novels is called... It's, it's really just a comic at this point. There's only been, I think, six issues, but it's called The Highest House. And it's set in an alternative uh, Eastern Europe in around the, I think, the 12th or 13th century. So during the Middle Ages. And it's about this young boy who is from a poor rural family, who whose family sells him into slavery in a in the highest house, in a, a manor house that has been occupied by the invading Christians. Well, they're not invading Christians in the comic, they're invading monotheists within a pagan yep. society. And um, it's a really well-told story which sneaks in a bit of history into it. So it, it's described as fantasy, but you have a lot of real-life concepts um, about slavery, about invasion, about how people maintain their cultures under a process of being dominated by a different culture. And it's about this young boy who comes into powers and um, negotiates the different stratas of society that he finds himself enmeshed in. And um, I think it's beautifully written like everything by Mike Carey and the art is by I think Peter Gross who is also a fantastic um, artist so um, I highly recommend The Highest House. I feel like I could talk 
TV and films and books with you for hours, but I really, I know it's very late where you are, so I should probably let you go. But um, thank you so much, David, for talking to me. Thank you for your time and um, for being so frank with your answers and showing me a bit into your process. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. After I recorded this interview, I received a question from Alistair on Discord, which was intended for David. Alistair asked, I'd like to know if David cleans out each pen of the day after a single day at the office. And David was kind enough to send me his response via email. He said, I don't clean them out on a daily basis. I'll leave them inked. But I also have a cleaning schedule. So each weekend, I clean out a number of pens, but not necessarily the ones from the prior week. It all sounds very organized and certainly nothing like my cleaning schedule. Thanks again, David. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the Nip section and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop into iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback, someone else you'd like us to review? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producer of this episode was Diana Dye. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Special thanks to David Parker. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.